there, and welcome to the Study Center Podcast. I'm Fitz Green, your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by Russell Moore. And Russell is the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and he's the author of the forthcoming book, Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America. He's in town for a lecture for us tonight, and he uh, has agreed to join us a little bit early for this conversation. Russell Moore, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So I want to go back to the last time we had you here at UVA, uh, we had you talk about your book, Kingdom of Christ, which Bill Wilder, our executive director, and I both love. Uh, And at the beginning of that, you asked the question, uh, could it be that the eclipse of Jesus in evangelical politics is a symptom of the eclipse of Jesus in evangelicalism itself? Uh, Is that what has played out since then? So that was 2004. You wrote that. Mm, How things played out since Uh, then? I I didn't. uh, I didn't even remember that. But yes, I would say. (laughs) I would say probably in ways that I did not uh, even imagine at that time. Yeah. Um, Ways uh, mostly Trump in that case. I don't think anyone imagined that. No, not not only sort of the political um, the political uh, issues, but also. Um, the sexual abuse uh, mm, crisis, yeah. the fragmentation, the, uh, I mean, there, there are so many issues that are, that are converging uh, in, yeah. in some way or the other, leading to a crisis of, um, of people wondering whether or not the church is just a, a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, that is a really pronounced crisis right now. Yeah. Yeah, that does. Uh, that's an eclipse of Jesus for yeah, sure. Yeah. If the church is only means, and Jesus is not. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's also the case that uh, Eugene Peterson uh, talked about the need for a Ways and Means Committee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because uh, his point was actually most of what we do in the Christian life is about the way we do it, the way of uh, Jesus. Yeah. And that's what we have seen uh, really come apart in many places over the past several years, both in terms of scandals that have, um, that have happened, but also just in terms of an attitude that the way of Jesus is naive. Mm, or yeah. that uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit somehow put us at a disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, it, which of course it does if <laughs> if what uh, but that depends on what one sees as the playing field as <laughs> to what, what it is that we're actually doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so there have been all these crises in the church, uh, but then there are all these this cultural dissolution and, and you know the, yeah. the disruption that is uh, in the culture. Um, what I see from young evangelicals coming here to UVA is. Um, Feeling a, a rootlessness and yeah. feeling that uh, the you know that uh, reaction to what's going on around them, uh, and uh, young people now are trying to share their faith, but they're uh, afraid to do so because it, they won't be seen as wrong anymore, but they'll be seen as immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, what should what should I say to young people uh, in the midst of that? How do you share your faith when it's seen as uh, immoral even in our current cultural moment. Well, I had a really interesting experience uh, in the fall of last year in which I was on a, a very secular uh, university uh, campus uh, teaching once a week. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and my students, almost all of them were not only non-Christians, most of them had never met an evangelical Christian until mm. me. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I found really interesting is that what they wanted to ask about constantly uh, was theology. Really? How does a, how does a, how do you know that there's a God? Is uh, how does a person have a relationship with God? Is is there a hell? What does that mean? I mean those sorts of uh, questions. I was expecting kind of culture war sorts of questions, uh -huh. but they they really weren't. Huh. Um, and at night, I would meet with my fellow evangelical Christians who are students there, and most of them Split. would. Yeah, well, most of them would be asking that question. Oh, How do we deal with hostility yeah. uh, coming from... And what I had to say was, I think you're overestimating how much your secular uh, classmates hate you. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you might be inadvertently contributing to it mm. with that sense of uh, because sometimes I think as Christians we have a kind of inferiority uh, complex mm -hmm. uh, that, that that leads people to think I really can't talk to people and engage with people sometimes that is going to end up with a hostile reaction that's always been the case but I think a lot of the time what you're going to find are people who are genuinely curious. Yeah. And and more so. I mean the students who are coming to ask me how how do you think that people can have a relationship with God wouldn't have done that uh, if they had been in a a world where they expected to have tracts given to them and mm -hmm. uh, to, but they're not in that world. Uh, and so I, I think that there's actually a moment and an opportunity here. Yeah. To um, to bear witness, and we we can we can miss that opportunity if we're if we're overly uh, overly fearful, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very fair. Uh, pro you probably hit on another reservation for students, which is not even that they'll be judged immoral, though that's sort of the broader cultural attitude, um, but also perhaps that they'll be judged naive. Uh, you know, UVA students at an elite institution, I think they want to be in, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they probably do see uh, th that inferiority complex. They feel Christian faith is something less in some way. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, that's the, the very thing that the entire New Testament is talking about, yeah. is that what the Christian gospel does is to reframe what power is, what influence is, mm -hmm. um, what happiness, blessedness is, yeah. uh, and, and, and what wisdom uh, looks like. And so the, the, those sorts of challenges are no different uh, from, except not as intense as would have been the case in a, uh, in a, a culture of Greek philosophy, in a culture of um, of the Roman Empire, so that's not a new uh, that's not a new situation, yeah. and it's also the case that I think sometimes Christians assume, and this is not just younger Christians, older Christians as well, assume that in order to talk to people, I have to have laid out all of the potential answers to all of the potential objections mm -hmm. that someone might have, mm -hmm. which is. It's just not the case. 
I mean, yeah. there are very few people who are persuaded of anything uh, because they lost a 20-minute argument yeah. with <laughs> syllogisms. Yeah. Uh, instead, love people, connect with people, be honest about what it is that's most important uh, to you in the gospel. Remember that this actually is good news. And remember that sometimes, and indeed I would say most of the time, people who are resistant initially, um, there's something different going on internally, uh, regardless of whether that person ever actually becomes a Christian. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, we, we all have defenses around our psyches. Yeah. And, and so don't, don't take that personally or mm -hmm. at, at too much face value. Yeah. Perhaps rooted in this uh, fear that I see from uh, students, young Christians, uh, and perhaps from other uh, factors too, certainly there's a, a sort of pendulum swing in Christian attitudes toward culture that can happen, right? Um, I do see, or uh, perhaps I fear, that what I see young people most, uh, the attitude that I see young people most uh, taking toward culture is one of accommodation. Um, allay my fears now that you've allayed students' fears and sharing their faith. Um, yeah, where do you see young evangelicalism going, uh, and what what would you say to them in that? Uh, I don't uh, sense any uh, any more uh, cultural accommodation than I've ever seen before. Yeah. Sometimes it's in term, in different ways, but I haven't seen any more. I mean, that's always the pull uh, that all of us have. It's mm -hmm. just that there are multiple uh, uh, tribal identities and, and subcultures that we want to belong to, but... C.S. Lewis's inner ring is always the is always the case for for every single one of us. So I'm not um, I'm not really worried about that. And if, in fact, what I worry about more is that when I'm encountering uh, Christians who are university students, uh, often I find that the students who are doing really well in terms of following Christ mm -hmm. uh, often believe themselves to be failing. Because they they have this sense that um, what repentance means, they understand that they're always going to be sinners, but they seem to have this idea that repentance means I repent of this sin and then that's off the table, and then there's another sin that might uh, emerge, and then I then I deal with that. That's not the way that the Christian life is of course mm -hmm. and so there are um, where at the beginning of my ministry I would probably have to do much more conversation about you, you need to take seriously the holy holiness of God and the commandments yeah. of God now I find myself uh, saying much more often God is not angry at you mm. you're you're in Christ and stop hiding from him um, and so that, that I see uh, actually more. Yeah, that's helpful because I think uh, we've been uh, concerned about a word of cheap grace in the past yeah. as a trend we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see how we could be swinging another way where there needs to be 
Uh, there needs to be that simple word of grace. And uh, as you said with other things, the church has been here before too. This, yeah. this one is very ancient. Yeah, and, when, and we, we tend to uh, both as a church and as persons to ping back and forth yeah. between various pulls of deviations away from the gospel. Yeah. And that happens to be, uh, when, whenever we're confronting an error, um, what almost inevitably happens is that we pay such attention to that error we're addressing that we don't recognize the one on the other side. And sometimes yeah. we're, we're actually pushing toward that because we're still arguing against the last bad thing. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also very difficult when often what we're dealing with are uh, multiple people who are experiencing multiple different kinds of vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So we have, to, we have to shore up the vulnerabilities on one side without uh, pushing someone who has the opposite vulnerability yeah. off on the other side. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what... That's what the Christian discipleship is about. Absolutely. Yeah, that's certainly a challenge I have felt as I have been uh, preaching more in local church context. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that is, that is a real, there's a challenge there. I, uh, in my first church, and one of the things I was concerned about uh, was cultural, nominal, Bible Belt Christianity, people mm -hmm. who believed, I've, I've said a prayer in vacation Bible school, and so therefore rest of life is up to me and heavens at the end. Uh, and I could see a lot of people who really clearly did not know what it meant to follow Christ. Yeah. So I did a sermon series through First John on evidences of grace and how, how can I be sure that I'm following Christ? And it was a disaster yeah. because at the end of that, the kind of person I'm worried about yeah. I was worried about would come through and say that was fantastic uh, and then the godliest people uh would come up and say i need to make an appointment with you because there's no way yeah too robust yeah and so i i, I realized at that point i'm i'm not achieving the goal i'm trying to <laughs> trying to do because i wasn't paying attention to the fact that there were many people there who who believed that the Christian life was something that they ought to be able to track on a, on a yeah. chart. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just not There's the way it works. Peaks and valleys and left turns and right turns. Yeah, and, yeah. For sure. Uh, I wonder, this, this is a question I've been wanting to ask you, and you uh, just alluded to it. Um, is there something about the evangelical movement that makes this sort of pinging between extremes more... It, it, is evangelicalism more susceptible to that for some reason? Or is it just, this is our context, we feel it acutely? Uh, well, I, in that case, I don't think that evangelicalism is, is, more, um, is more susceptible to that uh, because we see it in every wing of the church at every time. Mm -hmm. I think what's different yeah. about evangelicalism is that things can, things can ping and, and pong much more quickly. Uh, okay. Because it is a, a movement devoted to uh, mission and energy and, uh, and revival and, and vitality. And so things can happen much more quickly. Hmm. And it's an entrepreneurial, sort of often market-oriented. Um, and with that can come faddishness 
yeah. and often has. So it happens maybe more quickly, but I don't think it's unique yeah. to evangelicalism. Yeah, that trend is there, but it could be more rapid. Yeah. Uh, the entrepreneurial side makes it, uh, that's like, you know, that can be attached to mission and be good. Yes. Uh, but the market-driven side, as soon as you mention that, I start to say, yeah. oh, yes, maybe that's where there's a pitfall. Well, know. yeah. I mean, there, yeah. There, there, are, there are pitfalls to, to all of it. Yeah. And the danger is that we don't, we don't recognize that. And mm-hmm. so that the sort, of, um, the sort of zeal and agility that could lead to the first and second Great Awakenings, uh, people could... Uh, immediately mobilize uh, on mission yeah. uh, somewhere without going through uh, a uh, bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, that also can lead to unaccountability, faddishness, and so forth. And, and one of the problems, I think, is that sometimes we don't realize the way that every system, every movement, every polity uh, can all be uh, destroyed by the weaknesses inherent in their strengths. And sometimes you'll have people who believe themselves to be invulnerable. Um, For instance, when the Roman Catholic Church was at the height of the revelations about the sexual abuse crisis, I would have many of my fellow lower church uh, evangelicals who would say, well, this is what happens when there are uh, bishops and a hierarchy where things can be covered up and, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And then, of course, when we have the revelations coming out uh, in great uh, number and great detail of sexual abuse in lower church evangelical context, uh, People would say, "Well, this is what happens when you don't have bishops and yeah. you have uh, and you have autonomous churches." Well, the reality is that both of those can be exploited, yeah. and if you don't recognize how they can be exploited, then you're not going to be able to guard against them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I can't think of a way to ask, ask this question without using the theological term. So, I will. Uh, Augustine viewed the church as an ecclesia paramixta; that the church was not equal to the kingdom. And was this mixed body? There were going to be wheat and tares and sinners and saints and uh, all alongside one another. And it gets worked out by Jesus later, you know. Um, but I think in, um, in the American evangelical context, we tend to see the church more as it's supposed to be this pure thing. And the world outside is, is something else. Um, how should we see the church? Uh, well, I do, I do not see the church as intended to be uh, a mixed body. Yeah. Uh, the, the wheat and the tares grow in the field, Jesus tells us, and tells us that the field is the world. Church is to be holy. Um, at the same time, the New Testament uh, gives us a very non-idealized uh, picture <laughs> of what the actual life of the church should be. So yeah. it's it's very similar to... If, if one's talking about an individual uh, and if you say, well, are you intended to sin some and pursue holiness some? Yeah. No, <laughs> you, you're intended to follow Christ and to be obedient to God. Uh, you also have an understanding in this fallen era, I am going to have to be constantly battling my own 
sin. Yeah. And if I, if I stop seeing myself as a sinner, I'm in danger. I think the same thing is true uh, more broadly in terms of the church. Yeah. And so uh, the, I, I think there are various kinds of cynicism that can come either with a, a, an idealized view of what the church should be that's not consistent with the kind of mess we see in the New Testament that Jesus yeah. rebukes mm-hmm. constantly. If we have this expectation that that's not going to be the case, or the kind of cynicism that says, ah, church is always a mess, let's just roll with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cynical and, and dangerous. Yep. And actually, where we're meant to be is in the same sort of situation that we are as as persons in Romans 8. We're beholding the glory of God, we're seeking the, the face of God, and we're groaning with the creation around us because we know this is not this is not the way it's supposed to be. Mm, yeah. yeah, both of those things have to be held together. Yeah, I, I, that's really helpful uh, to think both at the individual level and the corporate level that we're in the already not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I uh, went to undergrad in D.C. and there's a uh, Corinthian Baptist church in D.C. <laughs> in Chinatown. And I remember thinking to myself, have you read that letter? Yes, oh, man. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to uh, Kingdom of Christ for a sec uh, because, uh, well, you, you wrote in Kingdom of Christ that uh, you wanted to remind Christians that the call to Christ is not a call to go to heaven when you die but instead a call to be joint heirs with the Messiah who will inherit the all-encompassing kingdom. And uh, at the study center, we've uh, been influenced by that kingdom uh, orientation. Uh, we've read a lot of N.T. Wright and mm-hmm. his, you know, his view on that too. Um, but I have become concerned that I see that being received in a way that uh, flattens the kingdom and sees mm-hmm. it only as this worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, how do you keep that true kingdom message without letting it become, we're going to build the kingdom here and now, and, and this is the other world leaders of it? Well, again, that comes back to, uh, you have to be constantly uh, watching where you're vulnerable to error. Yeah. And, and as we bear one another's burdens, we're watching that with one another as well. Yeah. So you, it, it does no good if somebody is, um, if somebody has a uh, a very uh, earthly sort of uh, fleshly understanding of the kingdom, um, whether that's in a sort of social gospel sense or if it's in a programmatic sort of take, win the world for Christ sort of sense, if someone has that, it, it does no good to talk to them about hyper-spiritualization yeah. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So you, you, have to, you have to see where the, uh, where the deviations are coming and speak to those because what, what's happening in, in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, is an integration of yeah. a holding together, heaven and earth, yeah. uh, God and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, and integrity in that sense of holding together, summing up all things in Christ, Ephesians 1.10, is what it's about. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what we have to pursue. Yeah. Yeah, that's a needle uh, to thread, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, 
let me ask you one last question, which is, um, I, uh, you have been uh, courageous in naming the failings in the church. And uh, on your podcast, you have on many people who uh, are also seeing those failings and experienced those failings firsthand, right? Um, but I don't hear any hint from you. You're not, uh, you're not disenchanted or you're not deconstructing. Right. Um, how, do you, how do you do it? Well, I think that the, one of the things I'm really struck by with Jesus is that he uh, at no point uh, becomes a public relations organ mm. for, uh, yeah. for anything. Yeah. There, there's no spin uh, there. He's telling the truth. Um, and yet he's all, he also sees the glory. And, and, and is the glory. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's what's important right now is that, um, I was just talking to a, a young woman, um, night before last, who's been through a, a really awful, um, church situation. And what I had to say to her was, um, that's, that's all completely understandable your reaction to it because mm -hmm. she was reacting really well differentiate Jesus from what has gone on in the name of Jesus yeah and I think that church history has has borne that out again and again and again so I'm not uh, cynical I'm not um, depending on what someone means I mean the deconstruction is a word that I really don't use much because it, I found it to be unhelpful because what some people mean by deconstruction is uh, apostasy, yeah. uh, falling away from the faith. What some people mean by deconstruction is uh, theologically liberalizing in some way. Yeah. And what many other people mean by that is not any of those things. It's just a moment of reconsideration yeah. of saying nuance what's, you know what's re yeah what's what's really there and what did i just what did i just take uh at face value and never really did what the scripture calls us to do uh test uh, everything and hold fast to what is good yeah so sometimes that's what people people mean by it yeah but i'm not disillusioned at all with uh, jesus uh or with the church, I see. I see a great hope uh, for the future of the church. God doesn't need American evangelicalism the way that we've known it, and it seems to me that much of what's happening right now is a reordering uh, mm -hmm. and a, a shaking up, as Jesus often does. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Russell, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me.